Hi, all of you wonderful scuba divers out there. Welcome to the Scuba Diver Magazine podcast. This week, an underwater nuclear missile silo is back and open for business for scuba diving again. Uh, good results are coming from the seagrass replanting project in Plymouth. There's also a conference in November for anybody who's interested in historical diving. They look quite interesting. Military scuba divers helped clean up some nasty ghost gear over in the States. Hagada has some new wrecks for diving to explore in their waters and the search for a missing scuba diver has been called off. So the first news story is that yeah the uh, underwater nuclear missile complex is back and open for business. Uh, this is actually a viewer who messaged me and uh, and said that hey we're, we're planning on reopening it and um yeah, it is exciting news. Uh, so this is the exclusive source to dive the abandoned Titan One IECBM complex near Royal City in Washington. And yeah, it is back open for business. So you can head over to uh, underseasadventure.net and um, or I'll just pop a link down in the in the description so that you can uh, that you can head over to there. But yeah, you can go scuba diving in there. It's it's one of those that. I think they said that it was in National Geographic as one of the top 100 dives because it's just so unique. Um, they, um, it, yeah, it is basically an an old abandoned nuclear missile or ICBM missile silo, and yeah, it, it's flooded. But yeah, you can go scuba diving in it, which is pretty cool. Um, they do a like all day experience uh, if you want. Uh, it'll um, cost you $350 or just $349 for two tank dives. And that include dives in Launcher 3, Equipment Terminal 3 and Launcher 2, uh, plus lunch and a tour of the dry side of the complex. And yeah, it is, it's really cool. It's just one of those unique dive sites that you kind of you have to experience at least once in your diving career and prerequisites are just advanced certification or higher photocopy of your your cert cards recent cold water dives because it's like underground it can get quite dark so it's quite important for you to have experience with like a bit more exposure protection um night diving as well you're going to need to bring a light and a backup because it's underground. Yeah, there's no natural light down there, so you have to bring your own. Um, and um, yeah, they do say it's worth being in uh, quite good physical shape. There's a bit of a walk and uh, is moderate difficulty. So uh, yeah, you've got to be like reasonably fit. How they describe it is we begin in the high desert plateau of eastern Washington, overlooking the Columbia River. As they drive through the middle of what looks like a steel scrapyard of rusting farm machinery and other derelict equipment, a massive concrete launch door appears, then two more identical ones. Next, a massive ravine dug by a zealous farmer opens before you. Driving down into this man-made canyon, they stop at a huge mangled tube erupting from the depths. This is the entrance to the Titan One complex. We set up our gear on large wooden decks by the entrance, Extra bottles, lights, fins, masks, and various cameras and miscellaneous gear are lowered down into the hole. Most divers opt to wear their assembled scuba unit down the ladder, but they can be lowered by rope. Uh, if you're diving a twin set, you'd probably prefer that option. Let me just turn the sound off. Um, 
At the base of the access tube is the ready room. This is the staging area for the dive. Several large benches line the walls of the room, allowing plenty of space to get your gear assembled. Once everyone is geared up and checks are complete, the walk to the launch silo begins. The tunnels leading to the launcher areas of the silo complex have been ravaged by salvagers in the 1960s when the base was decommissioned and sold off. Deck plates on the tunnel floors have been removed, leaving a network of large pipes, valves and occasional beams to walk on. Water fills the tunnels up to about waist level, which is perfectly fine for our scuba diving needs. Um, Inflating BCs is a must on this walk, along with listening to the person in front of us so they call out any obstacles. A kayak makes the trip with us to, uh, to carry all loose items like fins and cameras a little bit easier. After a couple of turns and tunnel junctions, we reach the area where we do our final gear up for the dive. Fortunately, the deck plates are in place here, giving us a smooth and even floor for final preparations. Moving into the launch silo, we pass through a rather normal looking double doorway. Judging by the doors, you'd never know you're about to enter a 160 foot tall chamber that once housed a ballistic nuclear missile. To the right, a 24-inch wide plank leads across the now empty elevator shaft that serves the different levels of the crib work, so you do need to watch your step here. The bottom of the shaft is 110 feet straight down, uh, another reason why the BCDs need to be inflated to make sure that you don't just go straight down. Um, they're now standing on massive steel crib work that lifted the 100-foot, 110-ton ICBM, the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, to the surface for launch. It has waited in the pitch-black darkness for almost 50 years. Now you're in the heart of the complex, standing on a platform extending out to the missile silo, mere inches from where the massive Titan One ICBM once stood at ready. Looking over the edge, you can see the steel structure disappearing at the limits of your flashlights. The water is clean groundwater, so it's fresh, but it is cold, obviously, seeping in since the Air Force turned the pumps off in the early 60s. Masks on, regulators in, vent the air from your BCD, and you beset begin to descend into Cold War history. Um, so, yeah, very cool. Um, I'm going to see if I can uh, head over there. I'm just going to like work it out with my calendar and everything. Uh, this has always been on my uh, my bucket list to dive in one of these um, like missile silos. Um, so, yeah, if you are interested, um, head over to underseasadventures.net. Work on England's largest seagrass restoration effort continues in Plymouth Sound National Marine Park under the Life Recreational Remedies Project. So Life Recreation Remedies is a £2.5 million four-year marine conservation project to save our seabed at five special areas of conservation in southern England through seagrass restoration, education and innovation. It's funded by the Life program and led by Natural England in partnership with Ocean Conservation Trust, Marine Conservation Society and the RYA, the Royal Yachting Association, as well as Plymouth City Council. And the Ocean Conservation Trust, the uh, the restoration lead in the project, have deployed 100 seagrass pillows into the restoration site at Jennycliff Bay which each contain about 40 healthy seagrass plants and a few uh, like like boosters. I think they're called rhizomes. This latest effort covers 2,500 square metres of the seabed with all these little pillows and seagrass to give it a real good 
uh, like seeding surface so that they it continues to grow and uh, and create a, a vitally important habitat. To restore seagrass, OCT had to hand collect seagrass seeds from healthier meadows elsewhere, plant them into sand on 100% biodegradable mats made from cotton hessian, and then build up these little pillows and then relocate them to try and um, promote growth in the area again. So after a year, Amelia Newman, the uh, the Remedy Seagrass Cultivation Lead at the Ocean Conservation Trust, said that it was exciting to be underway with this round of seagrass planting. It's always a big team effort and we're lucky to be supported by local stakeholders. We were overjoyed to see how well the seagrass we planted last year is doing. It's a real win, not only for the project, but for seagrass and the environmental benefits that it brings us all. So well done to everyone who's involved in that project. Um, it, it makes a, a huge difference to uh, to bring back these seagrass beds, and um, and yeah, hopefully with um, with more and more divers helping, and uh, more and more people on the top side as well. Uh, yeah, they'll uh, they'll continue to flourish. If you're interested in diving history, military diving or salvage operations, the annual conference of the Historical Diving Society in November should be on your calendar. The main topics of the speakers' presentations this year are special forces, divers and salvage diving in World War II German submarines. Mike Wellam, whose latest book, The Combat Divers, an illustrated history of special forces divers from World War II to the present, will talk about the military divers of several nations but mainly the British Royal Navy divers. As a former Royal Navy Marine commando his expert knowledge on the subject gives a riveting talk. Uh, his book will also be available to purchase at the conference. There will also be several other speakers from uh, from Poland, from Denmark and other countries around the world uh, just giving presentations on yeah military and just nautical scuba diving or just diving history. Tickets will cost £40, and that includes a lunch, refreshments, and free parking. Uh, the parking, though, is on request, and it's subject to availability, so you do have to check first. Uh, it's an informal social event that's open to everyone and anyone who is, has an interest in diving. Tickets and full details of the conference, the speakers, and the program can be found on the Historical Diving Society website, which I'll link down in the description below. Sticking with military divers, an elite team of 25 US Army divers had spent nearly four weeks recovering ghost fishing nets, some of them more than 150 metres long from Puget Sound off the coast of Washington State. The team had been hand-selected from the most experienced and skilled divers because of the hazardous nature of the mission, according to Staff Sergeant Miller. He said that, it had taken more than 10 days simply to plan the dive schedule because of the complexity of tides in the sound. Marine conservation Joan Drinkwin said that the nets posed a significant hazard to marine life such as Dungeness crab and the listed rockfish in Puget Sound. She said that derelict nets when they're in this kind of habitat roll up damage the reef, damage other animals and impede access to the habitat for these different species. So it's very important for them to have removed this. 
but they said that it had been uh, cost prohibitive, especially in terms of the requirement to have a decompression chamber on the site to remove the nets without the army's help. Through their involvement, the divers earned themselves a military occupational specialty as engineer diver. The unit can be deployed all over the world. Anything a combat engineer needs to do that has to be done underwater that's what they send us out for, said one of its lead divers, Sergeant Ellis Lopez. We do pier demolition, construction, boat inspection, and a lot of recovery and salvage work. The ghost net clearance was carried out in partnership with Washington State Department of Natural Resources as part of the U.S. Department of Defense's Innovative Readiness Training Program. And this is designed to enable divers to train on mission essential task lists, hone their skills, and practice their operations in real-world environments while simultaneously helping a state agency accomplish its goal of cleaning up marine habitats. Over here in the UK, volunteers from Ghost Diving UK and Ghost Diving Netherlands combined to lift abandoned trawler net from a wreck lying near St Mary's Lighthouse Nature Reserve off Blythe in Northumberland. The operation was carried out from the boat Spellbinder 2 and started with a three survey dives. The 33-metre deep steamship Mars was cleared of what was described as a massive net in a day, and the following day a nearby wreck, the HMS Dolphin, had a number of gill nets removed also. The 90-metre Swedish merchant ship, the Mars, had been carrying wood pulp to London when it was sunk by mines shortly before Christmas in 1939. Seven of the 16 crew died, and the wreck is now very broken. Dolphin was a casualty of the same mines laid by the U-boat U-22, a former liner employed in World War I to serve as British submarines. It was being towed for use as a block ship in the Clyde, but little now remains of the actual vessel itself, but it was still collecting ghost gear. But now that Ghost Diving UK and Ghost Diving uh, NL... The ghost net collected was taken for recycling through the Journey Blue Net Collection Program in Blythe Harbour, and this initiative started on the 29th of July, uh, the day that another ghost diving project ended, an eight-day expedition involving divers from five countries removing ghost gear from World War II shipwrecks in the Mediterranean between Lampedusa Island and Tunisia. Uh, so, yeah, they're just constantly in the watering collecting all of this ghost gear uh they're great to uh, to follow on instagram as well they frequently upload uh pictures and videos of them doing their work and um, it's strangely satisfying seeing the um, the ghost nets just shoot up back up to the surface after they've uh, they've cut it free um so yeah i, I always recommend uh, just following them uh, on social media. Over in Egypt, uh, they've taken a leaf from the Book of Jordan and started dumping retired tanks and other military vehicles into the Red Sea to keep scuba divers happy and entertained and away from fragile coral reefs, uh, at least for part of the time. So there's a new artificial reef project that has been seven years in the planning and it's now been four years since the armed forces transported a number of disused military vehicles to Haggadah ready for this plan. The uh, the COVID pandemic kind of intervened with that and pushed all of the plans back. However, the new underwater museum has been inaugurated. Five exhibits are being placed in three locations off the coast of Haggadah 
and it's just something different for divers to look at. They're also trying to give some of the local reefs a bit of a rest because divers diving it constantly, uh, they're trying to draw them away to look at something else so that the reefs can rest a little bit. Um, so yeah, if you are heading to the area, if you um, uh, if you do have a Red Sea liverboard booked um, and it's coming out of uh, Haggadah or heading around to the Haggadah area, then yeah, chances are they're going to make a stop here and you can see some new wrecks. Uh, it's kind of the, the usual um, oh, uh, APCs, uh, armoured personnel carriers and tanks and things uh, underwater. They, they've stripped out all of the, the electronics and the uh, the fuel and all the oil and nasty stuff and um yeah dropped it into the water um so that uh, scuba divers can dive around it i don't think there's going to be a huge amount of penetration um for any of these wrecks they're pretty small and cramped uh, it's more just to see them down under the water and they also act as a bit of an artificial reef so hopefully some corals will start to uh, to grow on it but also the fish will find it a little bit of shelter so um yeah something new out in the red sea Sad news is coming out of Florida, uh, unfortunately. So the U.S. Coast Guard has called off what have been an ex intensive six-day search for scuba instructor and former Coast Guard officer Thomas Tommy Falkenberry on the 7th of August, pending any new information. The diver had disappeared on the afternoon of the 2nd of August from the shipwreck the USS General Hoyt S. Vandenberg, seven miles off Key West. And the Vandenberg is the... America's second biggest artificial reef. The 156-meter troop transport and missile tracking ship was scuttled for scuba divers 14 years ago and has a maximum depth of 42 meters. Falkenberry, who's 44 from Stock Island, was a dive instructor for Lost Reef Adventures in Key West and was diving from the operator's boat, the Dream Cat. Crew reported to the Coast Guard that he was overdue back from a dive at around 10.13am, some 53 minutes after he had last been seen. According to one of two crowdfunding sites set up to help the diver's family, his dive had been undertaken to hang a decompression tank on a line. The Vanderberg site can be subject to quite strong currents and... There has so far been no trace of him after the, uh, the six-day search. Sector Key West Coast Guard Commander Captain Jason Ingram said that this was a tragic accident. Diving is an inherently dangerous activity. Mr. Falkenberry's passion for the sea is well remembered by the dive community here in the Keys, and my deepest condolences are with his family at this difficult time. Falkenberry had himself previously served in the Coast Guard for nearly 20 years. Search and rescue services, including the Coast Guard, U.S. Navy and Army dive teams, the National Guard, Monroe County Sheriff's Office and the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission had spent a combined total of 152 hours covering a search area of about 4,300 square miles, uh, the estimated size of Connecticut, searching for him. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, um, they, they have yet to find him and they've had to call off the search. A second GoFundMe site has been set up for Falkenbury's four sons, uh, ranging in age from 15 to 21 by their mother, who described him as an experienced diver who loved the water. Uh, so if you do have any spare money uh, and you do want to, uh, to help them out, then uh, I'll put a link down in the description below. As far as new scuba diving equipment out there, um, 
the only thing that I spotted was that DiveSoft have a new or a pair of new dive computers called the Freedom Plus. Uh, so these are quite technical dive computers. Uh, DiveSoft make a range of um, uh, rebreathers. And now they have some um, some dedicated dive computers, uh, but you can use these for, uh, for open circuit as well, I believe. Uh, I haven't had a great deal to um uh, a great look at them but i just noticed that they were um uh, they were advertised as new um they say the freedom plus dive computer is designed for all levels of divers and its intuitive user interface makes the computer exceptionally easy to use even for beginner divers it's color screen dive computer and yeah full trimix and everything uh they say it's a limited edition uh extended battery life that's twice as long as their freedom computer Bluetooth connectivity for seamless data transfer, uh, optional upgrade to closed circuit license, um, full trimix on the inside, um, factory tested down to 350 meters to ensure that the computer can withstand the harshest conditions in every environment. Um, yeah, I, I spotted that. I haven't had a, a great deal of time to uh, to look into it. Otherwise. Uh, I think that's about it. I, I had a quick look around the um, uh, the website and social media. I couldn't see anything overly new. I did get a new mask to um, to test out, which is pretty cool. Um, it has it, it comes with some of those uh, like defog films on the inside as standard and so far i've yet to make them fog up and they also have a uh, treated lens which is pretty smart otherwise i've been working on a travel video in palau um beautiful waters uh by the sounds of it it's quite rainy out there but as wet as it is on the surface you get beautiful visibility underwater um so um so that's coming out on wednesday I've also managed to film or finally film a um, an X-Deep product review. Uh, so that will be going live on Saturday, I believe. And I think that's about it. Um, just things have been taking a lot of time this week. Uh, you know, when like a normal project, you're like, oh, okay, this won't take too long. And you like you turn around and it's Wednesday and you're like, oh, struth. Um, so um, yeah, I, I think I've just been cleaning up a lot of other projects. I had one that's um, uh, one video that started, I think I started it weeks ago. And then normally when I start a project, it's kind of start to finish, like, start to finish whereas with this one i started it and then something else cropped up so it had to be shelved and then i got back to it i did a little bit of work and then i was i was looking around seeing what i can do and it's like oh yeah i can finally finish that one it's basically a top 10 of when to invest in certain pieces of dive equipment because i saw a lot of posts online and they're saying oh here's here's the top three things that you should buy first or here's the top five um i was like oh you know what i do top 10 videos why don't i just and there are a lot of questions of like do should i buy my own cylinder uh do i need to buy my own lead uh and i just thought hey you know what it'll be quite interesting just to uh just create a video basically saying that you know what most divers tend to buy their own dive knife between this point and that point uh it's unusual for divers to turn up on their foundational course with a dive knife but when you get to like rescue definitely they tend to have their own dive knife so it's kind of around uh, sort of between those points the mask mask you can buy 
the first thing. That's usually everyone's recommendation. Get a mask. Make sure you get a decent mask that fits you. Uh, you can turn up for your foundational course with a mask and no one will really uh, sort of think otherwise. And um, yeah, someone asked a few weeks back whether they should buy a, a dive computer before their like open water course. And it's like, you can do. Um, it's it's a bit unusual for um, for a diver to, to turn up with their own dive computer on their open water but it wouldn't throw a spanner in the works or anything. If anything, it would be better because, I mean, on dives one, two, and three, most divers don't even look at their dive computer. They're so focused on just the diver in front of them, their fins, uh, making sure that they're doing the right thing, that they're not really thinking about, oh, you know what, I'm wearing this piece of dive equipment on my wrist and it has all this interesting information uh, that they're not really thinking about that but if you have your own dive computer you don't have to learn how to use the dive school's dive computer then buy your own computer and then have to relearn and figure out what it's shouting at you where what's this beeping meaning uh, whereas if you have your own computer then yeah you, you just you learn how it works you learn the user interface and you learn what all the little like numbers and digits and icons mean on the screen in the real world with an instructor there who's going to help you out um, instead of just, yeah, learning to use a, a rental or a school dive computer. Um, so, yeah, uh, that'll probably go live next Saturday, I believe. Um, I think this Saturday is going to be the um, uh, the X Deep uh, gear review and then the following week it's going to be uh, going to be that top 10 but um yeah that's really what i've been working on this week um kind of disjointed just one of those weeks where i'm just like tidying up some old projects that i'd never got around to um i've got to do all these uh, these travel videos which are which are good fun um and you get all of this uh, like stock footage and you're like, oh, I really wish I could have been there to record this stock footage. But hey ho, such is life. One day I'll make my way out there. Um, otherwise, remember to um, like, share and subscribe, do all that social media stuff. If you're not subscribed to the channel, just double check. Um, a lot of people are probably listening and um, sort of don't realize that they're not subscribed because I have moved channels. Um Otherwise, head over to our website, scubadivermag.com, for the latest scuba diving news. Check out our magazine. Uh, we've got three different magazines, one in sort of the UK and Europe, one in America, and one in Australia and New Zealand. Thank you for listening, everybody, and of course, safe diving. <laughs>